0: Today's podcast episode is brought to you by the 5-Day Vendor Master File Cleanup. Do you trust the data in your Vendor Master File? Well, if you have less than 5,000 active vendor records and need to prepare for a vendor self-registration portal or for 1099 and 1042 IRS annual forms distribution, you are in luck. We have vendor validations, including watch list screening, duplicate vendor review, vendor inactivation recommendations, and more. Go to DebraRRichardson.com, that's D-E-B-R-A-R-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N.com slash consulting, or email me at Debra, D-E-B-R-A, at DebraRichardson rrichardson.com for a quote today. Today we have a guest, Debbie Kirby, who has worked as an accounts payable manager. And actually we are continuing with part two of our interview with Debbie. And part one was AP Automation and on today's episode we are talking cybersecurity. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 66, Cybersecurity from an Accounts Payable Manager's View. So before we get started with the interview, I just want to let you know I did have some sound quality issues on my side. um, But be patient, it goes away and enjoy the interview. So in part one of the interview, we talked about AP automation and the challenges that come with implementing new software in Accounts Payable. Yeah. What other challenges did you find kept you up at night as an accounts payable manager? I'm sure cybersecurity was one of them. Yeah, cybersecurity was definitely on the list. We
1: had training at least once a month along with me sending emails to my staff to give them updates on different things that were going on, how they were able to get into systems. So we had Like our bank would come out and do a training or I would get someone, you know, that I knew that was, um, that knew about cybersecurity, even if it was someone from our IT department, Mm -hmm. um, and they would come talk to my group. Um, what you really had to do is really instill in them how important it was, you know, because they would not see it until something happened. And then they would think, oh, that's not going to happen to us. So we, you know, you were always having to keep that in their mind that it's a problem and, and explain to them, you know, how different things happen. And I think, I think one of the biggest helps was our IT department because they knew these people, mm-hmm. you know, and they would listen to them. Um, uh, the other thing was the vendor maintenance and setup, you know, that was a big headache because they would think that they didn't need to call and verify just because an attorney sent them the information for this vendor. They felt like they didn't need to call the vendor and verify that they were who they were. You know, they should trust this, this attorney until they would have a problem. We had a couple of times where they set up a vendor and put the bank information in to do direct deposit. And it wasn't that vendor. Um, Luckily. Yeah. Luckily we were able to get our money back and it wasn't a lot of money. So, you know, that taught them a lesson
0: i think yeah and you know that's a big gap there because you know you still have a process that's either manual or mostly manual you don't have a vendor registration um, self-registration portal that really puts the onus you know on whomever submitting that and depending on your company, you know, you could have the internal team member that has a relationship with the vendor and they're collecting all of that information, but you don't know if, you know, they mistakenly got their information from crook.com, you know, and then they submit it to the vendor maintenance team. And then really that's where the validations begin. But if you have a vendor um, self-registration portal, you know, you take that internal team member out and you put the authentication, right, in the vendor self-registration uh, portal and then you have at least additional authentication that can reduce the potential for fraud. You still have to do your validations and I think that call is still necessary not just on banking information but on uh, anything that can affect payment like a remit address. Uh, I think another good thing too is just make sure that as you're getting that information or the onus off of the internal team member Um, you're also reducing the potential that they're going to keep those W-9s and those banking forms and one of the biggest things I found with implementing a vendor self-registration portal is I didn't realize just how much the uh, internal team members kept that documentation, you know, and you don't know that they're keeping it securely. They could just have it on their their C-Drive, you know, they're keeping that form and that W-9 just in case you need it again, so they don't have to go back to the vendor. So I think it is important to get that internal team member out of the middle and have it coming directly to vendor maintenance, which the portal satisfies that.
1: Right. I totally agree.
0: Yeah, another good thing that the portals provide, you know, if, you know, everything's going great, you know, you can think about eliminating that call because you've already authenticated the vendor and kind of replace that with um, the notification to vendors once their uh, accounts are updated. So the same way you or I go to Amazon or our banks and update our information, we get that email to say, hey, your information has been updated. If it wasn't you, let us No, and the portals can have that feature and I think that's important to you know eliminate all those extra manual steps that are being done when you're not automated.
1: Right and the vendor that we implemented it had that as well but like with every program you know in the beginning we were still making that call right safe you know and then yeah after you get comfortable I feel that you can do the same thing right like with any program that you have that will do that.
0: So in thinking about 2020, we're in the, I think I heard it called the roaring 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's here now, whole new decade. What do you think accounts payable teams should be focusing on? I definitely think cybersecurity, because it's only
1: going to get more challenging. You know, the more that we do electronically, the more that they are going to figure out Um, You know, I've always said that if they would just have a real job, (laughs) they could make lots of money, (laughs) but they choose to do this. So, you know, they make it more challenging for us. So I definitely think cybersecurity and there again, we talked about vendor setup. Um, It's also another big problem because of the security issues as well. So, you know, if you don't have a, system where you can set up the vendors and have all that security, you still have the problem with calling and, and making sure, you know, that they are who they are and don't ever call a number that somebody else gives you to call for the vendor. I know that's another big issue, you know, call the number that you have, because I know that we had problems with that as well. You know, you trust the people that you work with too much. You know, like our secretaries and paralegals, they would trust them. Even I, I told them, even you know, our CFO or myself, if you receive something from us, question it. You know, if it looked fishy or anything, question it. Um, I know that in my experience, I had an email that came from our CFO telling me to transfer some money and. Luckily, you know, I knew her very well and I knew how she spoke and I was looking at that email and I'm like, she doesn't say stuff like that. She would just walk down the aisle and come to my office and tell me what she wanted in the first place, you know, and then I looked up there at the, the email at where it was coming from and it had, instead of it having her first name dot last name at our firm, it had dot org instead of dot com and you know I walked into her office and asked her and she had no idea so you know that happened to me a lot because that's what would happen is they would look and see these emails that you're sending to people and then they would um, try to send the same type of email to trick you you know
0: Right. So that must mean that somehow they were able to get into your system and monitor the email patterns. And that's what that's another thing that, you know, is probably gonna grow in 2020 um, because they get into these systems and they're, you know, it's not always where they just, you know, send a blast email out to a hundred thousand people and just wait for somebody to click or to respond to them. They're getting in Into these systems, and they are waiting and monitoring, and they're waiting for when you think that payment needs to go out. And you know, um, that whole CFO business compromise, CEO, CFO email spoofing, you know, I almost think that counts payable should almost do away with expecting the CEO or the CFO to send an email and say, hey, transfer these funds. They should just go through the regular process. Right, exactly. And luckily that's how our CFO was. Mm-hmm. She
1: did mm-hmm. try to to follow the rules as we said and do the things the same way that everyone else did it. And she tried really hard not to make rushes. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. that's another thing where they would make mistakes because they get rushed into doing something and you know, you're talking about the CFO or the controller. And, you know, they're intimidated somewhat. Yes. So they they hurry up and try to get it done for them. And, you know, you just can't do that. They just have to be understanding. And hopefully the AP manager will have your back and talk to them about it, you know. And I think that really helps the communication for them to understand, you know, that we're trying to protect our assets, you know. Um, right. So I think that's a big... That's that's a big thing too as far as rushing accounts right. payable or your vendor maintenance person, you know, or whoever does the transfers or, you know, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, and I always say too that your employees team members you know can't be a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time you know they're going to come in with their own distractions maybe they're sick maybe their child is sick and they're coming in or maybe they had you know an accident or the way to work and they get into work and then they have quotas deadlines and so they're distracted so no one's going to be a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time and so doing things like making sure that the CFO the CEO you know are not sending those type of emails so if you get one then it's odd and also putting other internal controls into place so that if for some reason they don't catch that it, it's a phishing email then that internal control will catch it so uh, I think that's that's important too because again nobody can be a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time exactly So this has been great. I like talking about accounts payable, obviously, but I love talking about, you know, the challenges such as cybersecurity. I know you as an accounts payable manager are available for new opportunities in 2020. Where can the audience go to connect or engage with you? Of course, on LinkedIn or my email is dkirby1262
1: at gmail.com.
0: Okay, so that was a great part two of the two-part interview with Debbie Kirby talking about AP automation in episode 65 and now uh, cybersecurity episode 66. So thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 66th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.